0: Hey, it's Annalise from the Strategist Podcast, and welcome to 5 Days of Strategists. We're unlocking some Patreon episodes just for you. Each of us have picked an episode to remove from the paywall. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe. You can go to patreon.com slash strategist or you can go to westofcenter.ca. If you subscribe, you'll get an extra episode on most weeks, um, as well as access to our Discord chat which is really overwhelming. There's a lot, a lot of channels, but it reminds me of early days of Twitter. Um, and it's much better than current Twitter. So become a Patreon. And here is a, a episode um, from behind the paywall that is now in your regular feed. This is episode 1097. It's from the summer and it's a deep dive on party conventions. Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1097. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. You're here. It only took, it you only took us 10 minutes. 20 <laughs> 10 minutes. minutes. Of tech issues.
1: Yeah. We were are we? here. Yeah. We were committed to this, though. Hey, did you see that? Life. That was commitment.
2: Favorite part of the tech issues there when Stephen did things that caused me tech issues. Yeah. The, the uh, but it was best still part
0: was that we thought for once Corey Hogan had the tech issues wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Carter, <laughs> Carter issue. Always the Steven Carter issue. Carter, have you not. recovered from your mountain bike, your mountain bike incident? Your um,
1: today. Yeah. The bruise is gone today. Um, but it was pretty great. I, I, did you I, send,
0: did you send Corey a nip pick?
1: I did not send
0: Corey. Okay. pick. Did I send you a nip pick?
1: No, I didn't. Uh, you, I didn't send. No, you. I don't think I sent no. a lot of the nipple. I wouldn't pics. be here today if that had happened. Yeah, yeah. no. You it, threatened um,
0: to send one to me, and I said,
1: "I did not no threaten way. to." I said, yeah. "I was." It was inappropriate for me to send one to you because it threatened. contained a male nipple, and you uh, concurred. So I said, "I did okay. not don't send, send you a to picture." Me. Yeah, Corey, yeah. have you, that had that you that recovered?
0: Like, Corey, have you recovered from your hosting? Uh, I have recovered hosting? from this
2: conversation. I will never recover from it. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the my hosting, yeah. which I will I think we'll call like S-tier hosting, really managed to pull things out of some mediocre guests, I think we'd agree, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I listened I, to that episode. Pretty good.
0: You listened, uh, Carter. Yeah, was, You
1: loved it? it? Um, I mean, ended week. I kind of dominated week. the podcast and I wasn't even there. So <laughs> pretty much standard. Pretty much you like, standard.
0: Did you like Corey's lightning round when he asked who we preferred?
1: Yeah, like, that was really good. And you seem yeah. to be shocked that you were put into that spot. Uh,
2: you know, I think I think they said what was good for comedy value. I think we all know. Yeah. You know no, what I, their real answer would Corey, be.
0: Corey, we have listeners weighing in and saying like they weren't they weren't even asked the question and they were choosing Carter. So that's that's how it's that a question went.
2: Yeah, that's a little tough for me. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a rough ride. Okay. Yeah. No
0: one expected uh, it. <laughs> Huge surprise, guys! We've got things to talk about. Um, there is a Conservative Party convention happening right now in Quebec City that I want to get your take on. I want to do a little bit of a okay. uh, Conservative Party Conve- a, a party convention deep dive for our first segment um, theme. Do you, are you guys aware of what the theme of uh, of this convention is? Did you see? Let's pretend that see? we
1: are, but maybe you could refresh our memory. <laughs> it's
0: common sense. For the listeners. The, co- the common sense convention, yeah. guys. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. obviously, the common sense convention. So I, I want you to take, I mean, we can talk about this convention specifically. It started uh, today, I believe, Thursday, kind of going on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But you guys have been to conventions. You've mm-hmm. probably helped plan them, host them. I don't know. Um, how, like, who Who are conventions for? Let's start with that. Who who are they for, Stephen Carter?
1: They're for your key supporters. They're for the 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 800 people across the country that keep the party running. We've we've talked about how few people it actually takes to keep a party running. I mean obviously donors are there and volunteers during an election, but dur- between elections there's a very small number of people who actually keep the lights on, make sure that all the forms are filed with the with, you know, Elections Canada, and um, this group of people goes to conventions, and they've known each other since they were in the Young Conservatives together, or the Young Liberals together. Um, Everybody's a young NDP, so you don't need to have a young NDP group. But that's how, you know, parties are formed. These relationships exist over years. Uh, I've gone in as kind of an outsider to that, um, and I've also gone in as, as an insider. And you know, it, it's an amazing it's it's like going to a college reunion uh, more than it is like going to a political event because these people you know they they're friends, they've known each other forever, and they and they're held together a little bit by ideology, but a lot by this common core experience that they've got um that they just love. Is is
0: it college reunion y or is it culty? And I ask that like very sincerely. I've been to one party convention. Uh, yeah. in my life. So is it, I don't know, Corey, do you want to jump in there?
2: Well, I think it can be either for most people, at least in my opinion, historically, it's been more college reunion-y. I, Carter's point is an important one. Political parties, especially I think in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, they were held together by this core of people who were elected delegates because they were the most active in the party, because they were the most committed to the party. They took on the presidencies of things and really what keeps them there as much as anything else are, are the bonds to each other. And those bonds are formed at moments like this. And they're reinforced at moments like this. It's, Not entirely different now, but you tend to get a bit more of the true believer crowd, in my opinion, nowadays, with it a little bit more open and a little bit more of a transient crowd in the sense that they might come to one or two conventions and not come again. Whereas I feel like before, if you hadn't been going for the last 30 years of conventions, you were missing out on half the stories that people were telling to each other. The other thing I'll say is the convention... The, the convention in the sense that Stephen described, like the one that bonds people together, really happens in the halls outside of the main rooms as much as it happens in the main rooms. Um, but political parties do think, well, we're all here. Why not create a media event and why not try to propel our story out to Canadians? And I think this is a good example of that this weekend with Pierre Polyev having a bit of momentum. Sure, he's getting the faithful together. But he's also trying to tell a story to Canadians and a convention can be more than one thing.
0: Do you want to talk about, I'm glad you brought up that media aspect. Do you want to talk about both of you, that balance? Like how do you balance, you know, putting on a good memorable bonding time for these key people that are integral to the party with creating those media moments and with things not going off the rails? And I think we can get into kind of the policy debates, but what does what that balancing act like?
2: Yeah, well, the, the two moments don't happen really at the same times of day. Right. So we do know the big set pieces of convention are these major keynote speeches, usually in the evening at the same time or in the middle of the day on the weekend. And those are the things that the media come and set up for and react to. And the pundits are on the scene and they're giving the commentary. The bonding happens at all times, up to and including four in the morning, you know, as the hospitality suite has absolutely wound down. Mm -hmm. And you're still talking to the person you haven't talked to in 10 years who you were really close with in the past. And so you don't have to worry too much about one colliding with the other because they're not competing for the same airspace. Anybody who is going to be involved in that bonding exercise also knows their role is to go to the main hall and fill it and clap like hell when the leader says the things you want to clap like hell for. So if they're not really in competition at all. I, I You know, they become like... Think of it like if you were on, say, a cruise or you were part of like a tour group and you know there's the things that you just have to do and then there's free time to do whatever you want. At a convention, the things you have to do are those big speeches and those big moments that make the party look good.
0: Have you been on a lot of cruises, Corey?
2: Never one, so I was way out there. Yeah, oh, no. no, I don't actually know if that's what cruises are like at all. Maybe Sounded. Carter can yeah. tell
1: us. <laughs> so I will never Carter go on can a tell us. cruise. I don't do cruises. <laughs> Sounds like are cruises are making- for- I do vacations. I have to recover from. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, Corey's exactly right. I mean, the 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 set pieces. Everybody knows the role, and they come in. They they all get the you know what are the thundersticks or whatever, and they smash them together. They've all got their pageantry. Um, They're scripted and choreographed pageantry lines. Um, Each group tries to outdo the others. You know, so you'll have a a group from you know Saskatchewan that's doing their own little kind of performance, and then the group from PEI will jump in and they'll try and do their thing. Everybody knows their roles because they lit while they may not be scripted. If you've gone to two or three or four of these things, you know every single beat of it, right? You get the the early mornings are for policy, right? The lunch is for the speech, the afternoons are for the is for the AGM, where everybody kind of goes through the the motions of what actually has to happen, and then the evening is the great big, you know, uh, party really uh, that that everybody gets to go to, and and then they go into their hospitality suites and and drink the night away, and that's that's yeah. how they have fun. Other people go mountain biking. I like going mountain bike, um, <laughs> but th- th- for for these bike. folks, this is this is their group. This is their social network. Um, that we talk a lot about social networks on the show and this is, this is their core, core group and they love it, love it. And they really resent outsiders. I should point that out as well.
0: Tell, tell us more about that,
1: Carter. You know, well, it's like, it's like, you know, when you came onto the show, Annalise, and we were all so angry about it, um, but, you know, that when you're an insider, you're an insider, right? Everybody knows the shorthand. Everybody knows the language. Everybody knows. You remember that time in 19, blah, 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 blah. blah and they all know the story. And the, the person who doesn't know the story is an outsider who comes in and is maybe trying to write. If, if, if all you're doing is coming in and you want to learn the old stories and you want to learn about what happened in the past and you want to be a part of that, people are very responsive to that. But if you want to change the story, I mean, this is why common sense is such an interesting, um, you know, theme. It's basically saying we're going back to the old stuff that worked for us in the past. Um, And that's what these people love. They love, they hate change. They love consistency. They like to believe that they are essential and they've seen it all. I mean, they'll all tell you about the campaign in 1997 and what happened and what went wrong and why it went wrong. and Why, if only any somebody had listened to them, then everything would have worked out fine. Um, that's and that's a great that's those are great stories. And those are great. You know, everybody, you know. Should you
2: Stephen, I was about to disagree with you strongly, because I think that conventions can be really, really welcoming places. And often there will be new people and you're like, yeah, come on. And, you know, you'll almost adopt people for the convention, Mm -hmm. go through, take them to various things, tell them the various parties they should go to, give them the lay of the land, say, oh, that's Jack Siegel coming to the microphone. Let me tell you about Jack, right? And, you know, the personalities that are all in the party um but then you did the pivot and i 100% agree like like that's a welcome do it my way listen to my things come under my wing approach uh and people love that in political parties it makes them feel like er insiders right like the ultimate people who know the ropes and 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 that is manifested by sharing it with that next generation but you're right they're very hostile quite often to people who say i think we should do things different yeah i don't like this and then you'll get a lot of oh, here we go, and look yeah. at these people, these upstarts who are coming, and they don't understand all of this history that's been brought through it. You know, I mean, and that is in some ways a reflection of the first thing we said about this, which this tends to get the people who have been there a long time. They're quite invested in the status quo. However, that status quo is manifested at this particular moment and the way people are talking about the party at that particular moment. And it, you know, there really is a language, and there are shibboleths that you have to be mindful of when you go to a party like mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not an unwelcoming event. I wouldn't want anybody who's thinking I'd love to go to a party convention, but I'm not sure if, if I'll just be sitting in a corner and people will be flipping me the bird the whole time. It's not going to happen. Like people will
0: act. That has happened you. to like- me. <laughs> <laughs> If you're Stephen Carter, <laughs> if you are okay, not but,
2: Stephen Carter,
0: but talk talk to me, Corey. It's a welcoming place. Talk about the etiquette, right? For like those people listening who are like, yeah, this is my jam. These are my people. I want to go to a party convention. Like, yeah, what's I mean, what's the etiquette? What what should they know? What walk I walk mean, me through this.
2: Part of me says, fuck etiquette, right? Like just go in there and, and sort of do your thing. But the the reality is it's like being a good house guest anywhere. It's it's being new to anything, right? You you observe a little bit more than you act at first. You understand the beats, you understand how people do things, you understand what's proper and what's not proper, which jokes are sort of self-effacing and appropriate, and which jokes are just offside. And uh, and you slowly build up that understanding over time. True, not just to political parties, true of you know, any group that you might join at any given time. And I think that's sort of the the important note that you've pulled us to. You might be a member of a political party, and might you might think you understand the beats of the party. Understanding the beats of the convention-going crowd is like going through the next door, <laughs> and realizing there's like a party within the party, and you've got a whole other set. It's the inner party. It's like your George Orwell, 1984, right? Yeah. It's the inner party, and you're in there, and there are whole other kind of uh ways to act and by the way some of them actively contradictory how do you act in the outside party right the things that you say so faithfully and strongly and like you're a true believer a lot more cynicism on the inside party
0: carter would you agree with that inner party uh, description? description oh, yeah
1: because you know i mean everywhere you go there's clicks right and this is essentially just clicks so you know there'll be age clicks you know so the people who came up together there'll be regional clicks there'll be ideological clicks all of these different clicks will exist within the party and they will be united by certain things but there will also be animosities that go back 30 years Right, people will st- will still be pissed about Cretch. Literally, right? or, young
2: liberal presidencies that were fought, you know, twenty years ago, they're still yeah. being litigated to this day.
1: Yeah, because you know this person didn't do it on you know upfront way, and if if they had, then this other person would have won. And you know, it's the fucking junior party president or the re- regional representative from Alberta, and you know, people are still pissed about it. And if you, you know, so you kind of got to be mindful, you know, you don't, it, it's not like anybody's going to get really angry, but just be aware that when you go from click to click, if you're, you know, you're hanging out with the folks from Alberta and suddenly you're hanging out from the folks from British Columbia, there might be differences in the way that they approach their party. Um, you know, they may think of you a little bit differently if you're identifying as, as one of those different clicks. You're in high school again. Welcome back to high school. (laughs) It's it's the exact same thing.
0: Okay, but is is it worthwhile? Like, I don't. Again, I've been to one in my life. I I feel like you're not selling it for that part. Like, is it a worthwhile thing? Would you encourage people who are interested in a party, who are interested in politics, to go experience a convention? No,
2: No, no, no. Hold on. I need to know what you did at the convention and whether you thought it was worthwhile. Yeah, me. Because like, I'll tell you something. The last convention I went to as like a proper delegate, voting delegate, it's been a while. I've been to Observer for a few since. I don't know if I had a, I went to a single vote. I don't know if I went to a single debate on the floor. I did the hung out in the halls and saw my friends thing. And and so was that worthwhile? I mean, I don't know. It depends on, on your thoughts on it. Did I change the course of the party? Fucking probably not, you know? Uh, conventions can be very different for very different people like what did you do at the one convention you
0: well i was at? a staffer so it was like oh, oh that doesn't that count doesn't even count yeah. it doesn't okay but oh it, that my was my first convention experience right <laughs> so it's like hey all staff you need to be here you need to be in these rooms for these votes like
1: you're just gonna yell that, that sort of the whole thing. time yeah it's
2: such a different yeah, like you're. Yeah, that's a job
1: that's a job yeah, yeah. That's so painful. yeah that's the
0: only time i've been oh
1: god i've been yeah. i've gone as a carter how many conventions
0: have you been to Oh, I don't even dozens? know.
1: Not dozens. No, not. For, I mean, to be honest, I try and avoid them. Um, Why? Because everybody's going to come up to me, and uh, they're going. They're, I'm going to be treated very differently in a convention in that political sen- in, in that political environment than I want to be treated. Um, I'm either going to be uh, treated like I am some sort of really high person right a really high status person or i am going to be the shit that someone scraped off of their shoe and there is like no in between for me so i can't go into a convention anonymously and just kind of meet some new people um, any political convention i'm going to go to it's going to have it's going to have a hangover effect people are going to judge so and and keep in mind a lot of these conventions that i've gone to I've done things like training people. I've told people what the demands are of them. I've told people, you know, I've I've been working with a leadership candidate. That's just not a normal experience of the... Like uh, the, I'm not a normal member. I don't have a constituency association I belong to, right? I'm not... Like, I do politics a lot differently than uh, a person who's a member of the party does politics. And my politics isn't better or worse it's just different i'm just not involved in like i if you if i was ever involved in constituency level politics i'd probably kill somebody um (laughs) I just couldn't function. Or be killed. (laughs) I would probably be killed. I would be killed. (laughs) Be real.
0: So, Corey, you've been as like that, you know, political keener who no one is forcing you to go. You're not being paid to go. You've been in that.
2: Oh, yeah. Many times. I I don't I'm sure I've been to dozens of conventions, national conventions, probably fewer than a dozen because they only happen every so often if you're a member of one political party. Right. But um certainly many many conventions i've i've organized them as a staffer i've attended them as a say a riding president uh, i was you know riding president for the liberal party of canada i've been um Uh, You know, I've been like a member of the regional executive and attended these things. And I've just been an elected delegate to these things as well, as well as also being an organizer on leadership campaigns before. So I've worn different hats and done different conventions in different ways. More recently, I've also gone as an observer, you know, where I just sort of take in stock of all of these things, see some of my old friends from the party days, uh, but don't necessarily have to, you know, be, be wearing like the cape or anything like that. And, uh, you know, there's not very many versions of the convention I don't like. But mm-hmm. the reason I was coming down kind of hard on you is it is very different when you're working a convention. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is when you're sort of expected to be at certain places and do certain things. And you're being stage managed because the stage manager is trying to get certain outcomes. And that kind of pulls us back to the, you know, the the government, the the party of the day using it as a media event. And so while a lot of us are running around having fun getting free drinks in the Laurier Lounge, whatever it may be. Uh, There's a lot of other people who are trying to make sure that to the outside world, this looks like a group with its shit together that is saying something desirable to Canadians that is going to then provide uh, benefits moving forward. And the two activities are not entirely unrelated because you've got your faithful together. They're seeing the most recent version of the story with the new logos of the day, perhaps, and all of that. And then they they then go back and they carry that story to their various regions and the volunteers they're working with. And and so, like, I I do want to come back to the point of a convention can be many things to many people, right? It, It doesn't have one objective and it serves many of them quite well and quite admirably.
0: So talk to me about that, kind of what you're speaking about, Corey, but in the context of policy resolutions, and I think the media piece, right, in the kind of preview stories about this convention, in the ones about um, the UCP convention, like, that's what media focus on, you know, here are some controversial policy things that will be debated. And I don't recall specifics of the one I was at, but that that was where it's like, hey, get to these rooms, because we need these votes, because this needs to be defeated, because it's gonna be bad in media, like, talk to me about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, policy from a staffer point of view, from an organizer, from a party point of view, is just a threat. Like, that's yeah. it. There is not any upside to policy because if you want to do something and you're the leader, you just fucking do it. You don't need a resolution of your of your party where it becomes newsworthy and by challenging by default is when the party does something controversial or contentious or even takes up a matter that's controversial or contentious. Part We've talked about this, I'm sure, in the past, although I can't remember why. The first line of defense is sort of the party organizers arranging the schedule. So these things basically come up never or come up at times that are advantageous to the organizers. And so they can be voted down easily. And then the second line of defense is... Um, You know, just just whipping it, having the votes, making sure that there's enough people that you can drag from the halls. And I can't count the number of conventions I've been at, even as one of those kind of like standby delegates where somebody has just basically yanked me, Mm. who knows me and said, like, we need you in here right now to vote. And I, I can think of multiple times I've been in a hall chatting with somebody, drinking, had that tap on the shoulder, gone in, raised my card, not even known what I'm raising my card for. This is back in the day of cards before electronic voting, and then just gone back out and finished my drink. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on at a convention at any given time.
0: Carter, jump in on the policy stuff.
1: Well, and I want to I think we have to take a half a step back and just kind of re- remember how these policies come. It is the right of every constituency and in, in in every party to, to kind of put together their own policy uh, amendments or their own policy proposals that then come to the, you know, come to the party. And, and this is the this is the supposed democratic right of the organization, except we don't run political parties like that anymore. We don't run, you know, there is no grassroots democracy that, that lends itself towards, well, this is what the outcome is going to be. The, uh, the party has spoken. We are therefore going to follow this policy piece. So, because it's also leader centric, the leader him or herself is making the policy decision. Um, So, when it serves the leader, it's great to have the grassroots support. I mean, fantastic. Let's get, you know, get as much as we can. But when it's not serving the leader, when it's offside from the leader's direction or what the pollsters are telling, you know, the the senior party apparatus. This is why I have so much friction at a I'm more often the person who's the senior party apparatus that's saying, well, shit! We can't do that. That's fucking stupid. You know, we we wouldn't win a we wouldn't win a vote north of the Red Deer River. We hmm. wouldn't, you know, whatever the situation might be. Um, and you know, of course, with my level of tact and diplomacy, um, <laughs> <laughs> it really wasn't a laugh. Line. Um, <laughs> finish that sentence. It yeah, kind of my level of tact and diplomacy. I, I tend to walk into the rooms and just say are you fucking kidding me? And apparently that's not welcome. Um, and that's hostile. So, you know, this is, this is why we drag people like Corey and, you know, get ply with enough alcohol and we get the choices that we want.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't drunk to be clear in this scenario.
1: In that moment, I, in that moment, in that
2: moment, probably yeah. 30 minutes after I was,
1: Yeah.
2: look, I, I think it's worth noting parties know that the policy process is a fucking liability and i mentioned some of the steps that occur around there in order to to sort of manage it once it's to hit the paper but in general the processes of parties have designed to filter out the controversial the way it tends to work is like upvotes minus downvotes or or something like that and so you end up with these kind of banal motherhood statements that don't really mean anything at all. And that's the kind of policy parties love, you Mm -hmm. know, like, uh, be it resolved that the uh, Conservative Party of Canada believes everybody should have the right to own a cat or a dog as they see fit. Uh, You know, endorsed by X. And and those are the kinds of things that tend to, through the prioritization process, come forward because they're not objectionable. And the processes are designed to kick the objectionable out or down the order paper. But party members, particularly those who are um, maybe one side out of that cynical inner inner party, right, Their expectation is as party members, as party faithfuls who have put money forward, like they get to have a say in the advancement of the party. And um, Dan Arnold, who was the uh, pollster for Justin Trudeau for many years, very good friend of ours, he and I used to often go to conventions together and he would often be my convention roommate back in the day. And we had this general joke about the policy, like it's passed. And if this policy is passed, that means it will be put in a binder and put on the shelf mm-hmm. in an office somewhere that, a yeah. you know, that a leader has, right? Like leaders have been pretty clear for a long time that they will disregard policies that are unpopular. You know, the leader will outright just say, no, we're not doing that. And I think that happened as recently as this most recent, uh, Jason Kenney did it yeah. uh, with the UCP at one point and so the policy process is not it's not where policy comes from it is something that ties in pretty closely to the media moment though
0: what about the young people what about the young people what about the youth like kind of as you're as des- you're describing and kind of a couple questions I'll I'll throw at you here but as you're describing the atmosphere and the stories and the vibe and this and that it sounds like you maybe more white haired people than young people so a couple questions well, like is it how important is it to have those young people and for let's say there's some young person listening who's like oh darn i thought i could get involved in my constituency association and have an impact on policy and i'm now hearing no like do you want do you want to walk through your talk to me about the youth Corey? I mean, any
2: convention is going to have a major youth contingent. Traditionally, they have lower convention fees. Traditionally, their constituency associations will fundraise for them, pay their fees, maybe even pay their flights out, maybe even help pay for their hotels. And so there are always many, many young people at a convention. And I am firmly of the opinion that that's where a lot of the energy comes from in any political party, right? And these are the up and comers. These are the people who are going to be running that party at some point. And you get a lot of old people who have the time and the ability to go to the class reunion, right? What you don't see a lot of necessarily at a convention, you you see a dip, right? You don't see a lot of people my age. You don't see a bunch of 40-year-olds with a job and three kids Mm -hmm. that they're trying to get through school. Because it's a big time Mm -hmm. commitment. We're talking on a Thursday evening. This convention started today. So you're missing Thursday. You're missing Friday. You're missing Saturday. You're missing Sunday. And there you go. You've been murdered by your spouse (laughs) because you've been gone for four days drinking with your buddies right? Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, it's it's probably, and, you know, when I'm older, maybe I'll be back at conventions like that, right? But the, um, you know, the gap is not the young people. Th- there's always strong contingents. It's yeah. middle-aged people.
0: Okay. And C- Carter, what would you say to that young person who, like, wants to make a difference on policy? Be- honestly, what would you honestly say to them?
1: What would I honestly say to them? I, I think that yeah. the best way to really Understand this is to recognize the various levels of politics that exist. This idea that there is a political, uh, you know, that everything comes from the grassroots—it's just naive. So figure out where the senior levels are. Figure out how to get up the the ladder. Um, You know, the ways up the ladder are to work on leadership campaigns, to work, you know, to work in regional campaigns, and and each step there's, you know, there's little gatekeepers to everything. I mean, sometimes it's hard to get in, but the, the I've found that the way to get into these things is to give freely of your time um, and to, you know, showcase your abilities. Um, and when you start doing that, you get different policy access because now instead of having a policy discussion, um, you know, in the, in the, the room with 600 people, you're having a policy discussion in the, uh, in the leader's office. And that policy discussion has just tremendous, much more weight um, because you helped elect that leader. Like if Corey was ever successful electing one of those leaders, he would have had um, significant impact on the uh, the policy itself.
0: Carter, that was a much politer answer than the last time I asked you to speak directly to a young person well, those and you called them a dildo. <laughs>
1: those were children. Um,
0: <laughs> You
1: know, you're going to hold that over my head for how long? <laughs> One time I called the children a dildos. One time.
0: God. Uh, Corey, you wanted to say something to the youth.
2: Yeah, to the youth. Look, I think that there are long arcs to these things. And as is already mentioned, the people who are the first convention goers today are the people who run this party tomorrow. And that's true, whether it's the liberals, New Democrats or conservatives, and I think back to, I'm going to name check him the second time, Dan Arnold again. And he was, an, uh, you know, I think president of the University of Calgary Young Liberals back in the yeah. day. Like he was the only one. 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> there was a few. Uh, yeah. But like, uh, but the, the UFC Young Liberals put together a resolution to legalize marijuana. I can't remember which convention this was, but... Um, kind of got onto the floor and did shockingly well like I I think it passed if I'm not mistaken and it was one of those big contentious policy things oh my god can you believe this went forward oh my god can you believe can you believe and at the time it was something that the party was pretty eager to disavow or think about but you know what you didn't have to fast forward all that long you know 15 years less less than 15 years later that was not just the policy of the party that was passed as official policy of the liberals in 2012 um, it was the you know policy of the country, and uh, cannabis was legalized of course by the the current liberal government, so you know these things do they do kind of steer the ship in a gradual sense, and maybe like I would say I don't think that that policy convention it like it reflected a sentiment change and it and it engaged people on an issue and it moved it forward and uh well, the policy didn't then become like the policy of the liberals going forward and all of that. It was kind of a, a, you know, people got involved on the issue and they moved forward. So these things do move. They just take a time to move sometimes. And wow. certainly you don't want to go to a convention thinking, we passed this policy and it's done. It's it, right? Like yeah. that doesn't really happen.
1: Well, and plus Dan Arnold, the stoner, wound up working in uh, the prime minister's <laughs> office, which is very impressive <laughs> but, for him. I mean, good for it, you, it, you. You stoned out metalhead just, or whatever you... I just
2: want to, uh, you know, ask Dan not to sue us at this <laughs> Yeah. But, that was Stephen. That wasn't
0: me, uh, Corey. That was a nice, inspirational story about how youth can make a difference. I liked it. Do you remember at the time though, if that, like the back to that media policy kind of tug award that we're talking about? Like, was that a big look at these crazy liberals? Look what they approved yeah, at their convention. Sure. That was a big media yeah. story at the time.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think we we forget how quickly public sentiment moved on that particular mm. issue here. And um, and you know it was probably making staffers pull their hair out back in the day, um, because that's that's sort of the challenge. But I will say, media is also sort of conditioned to say, "Oh, we got a convention coming up. Let's look through the policy books and let's see the 100%. wackiest shit." Yeah. And often, a lot of the things they latch onto are not well, likely okay. to go too far.
1: Yeah. They're never real they they sure the delegates are talking but. about them someone from spruce grove you know came up with this wacky idea um but it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, it's Cyril Turton. He's not going to get anything across the line.
0: <laughs> to Corey's point, just wait 15 years, and it might happen, Just Carter. wait 15 years. Uh, okay,
2: let's... It, could, it could even happen for you, Searle, 15
0: years. <laughs> right, but... Come on, not for Searle.
1: Come on. Well, not for Searle.
0: Let's talk about some specifics um, with this this party convention. So it's in Quebec City. Do you want to talk about when you're doing a national convention, how important, if at all, location is?
1: Oh, you know how many times have we had the liberals come to calgary cuz they're really going to start to show off i mean you you go to places where you need attention where you need to feel like you've got an opportunity the the, the you know this choice is not Random. It wasn't done on a where can we get the best deal at the Holiday Inn. This was done be- <laughs> because it it fits a political objective, and you know it might be a little bit more expensive to get the delegates there, but the delegates understand they're paying a little bit more in airfare, they're going and traveling a little bit longer because ultimately they want their party to be in government, and to be in government that means that they're going to need you know uh, a little bit more lift in Quebec, and oh my goodness, we're really gonna show. Quebec the house, how important they are because we're all drinking and going down to you know to the peelers together I don't know I made that to, part so up no one's true. ever gone yeah, done, like that's yeah, good. Okay. yeah. <laughs> look they don't do that I think in Quebec, that's but.
2: that's quasi true there are different flavors of conventions with different emphasis and conventions before elections are often in important places where you're trying to showcase strength and build organization conventions after elections or in the doldrums are often just in Ottawa right you know it's like it's there it's easy for the party to put on it's logistically not very taxing you go there you go to Toronto you go to Vancouver simple you know turnkey big convention Montreal for the liberals always a very popular location and um and and so really I think that is one of the considerations like it it is it is showy to get everybody to a place like uh, say Winnipeg, if you think you're gonna make a splash in Winnipeg, it is expensive Winnipeg and never it is.
1: Lo- I mean, come on, now. it's
2: logistically taxing. It's logistically oh, okay. taxing to kind of move your whole apparatus out in that particular fashion. So uh, you don't you don't do it necessarily every, every time and you sort of pick the moments that you're gonna make a bigger show of a convention
0: what about provincial um elections also I don't know Corey if you noticed when you're talking when you said Ottawa Carter had like the longest largest yawn I've ever seen him have terrible <laughs> on the podcast uh no. what, what about provincial though do you like Alberta for example do you go well we have people in Calgary and Edmonton let's meet in the middle and Red Deer and it's hotels all, are I cheaper mean, that
2: happens so much yeah. how many times yeah, that's have we the been tragedy that, that is Alberta
0: Oh.
2: <laughs> i don't even think it's called the capri anymore is it
1: it's not called the capri but everybody knows that it's the capri As everybody the capri. knows exactly yeah. what i'm referring oh to. my
2: god i have gone to so many conventions at the capri yeah that's painful not that there's anything wrong with the capri it's more like the variation is just not there no
1: there is yeah, a lot so like, wrong with the capri
2: <laughs> i guarantee you if you were to have this podcast with three strategists from any province, they would have like the idiosyncrasies of their province. And certainly in Alberta, our big one is the convention is in Calgary. It's in Edmonton, or if they want to make everybody miserable, it's in Red Deer. Like that's, that's the choice basically. And, you know, very rarely they'll go to Lethbridge or Medicine Hat or, yeah, and and that's kind of it. Like it's really tough to get people up to Grand Prairie or Fort McMurray. Um, I'm sure If you talk to BC organizers, they'd be like, you know, it's almost always in Vancouver. And then we'd go to these places. They're all going to have those idiosyncrasies and they're all going to have kind of those shibboleths, right? And And the things that they need to consider. But the simple reality is when you're talking about a province, as much as we talk about regions, when we talk about Alberta provincial politics, region just matters so much less in a provincial context than it does in a national bilingual context.
1: Yeah. I remember going to Whistler for a BC one. That was fun. I was a
0: speaker. You were speaker. Good stuff.
2: Yeah, you um, speaking.
1: Yeah.
0: What about convention themes? And I, I want you guys to talk. Like, do you, who are the themes for? Is that like the media play? Do you remember any of the themes of conventions you've gone to? And. I'm really triple loading my questions tonight. What do you think of the theme this year for the Federal convention, Conservative Party Convention of Common Sense? Oh, this the is the one we're going to
1: remember forever. Hey, Corey, like this one, this one's really going to cut through. <laughs> I this think time, we'll be talking this about the common, common sense theme. We're going to talk about it forever. I've never, I don't remember a single theme. I don't believe that when I'm like at period a
0: bit, or a single a single convention theme or you just don't remember. Anything. I mean, who cares?
1: Right. Like they're <laughs> they're they're fucking meaningless. Like you you throw it together because you want to tell the media you want to. I mean, everything is shorthand. Right. We're going to tell the media what we're doing. Uh, you know, tell them what we're going to do. Do it. Tell them what we did. Right? Like it does like it does a lot of
0: thought. Like, is there a lot of conversations of like yeah, got sure, a convention absolutely. coming up? Big what's time. The theme, oh. How is it? hundred percent.
2: And yet and I, could agree, so I could not agree. I would not agree more strongly with Steven. I as really? you were asking the question, I I was just I'm a guy who just told you I've been to dozens of conventions. Yeah. And I was thinking I, I, don't guy, know if I can think of a single you know, a single oh. theme. I'm sure I could I could like look in folders and find the answer to that, but they're not very meaningful. So
0: is, is that just a waste? Of, like think of all that staff time that goes into what is our theme? What is our brand? Like, is that just a, a waste or in the moment it matters and it sets narrative and it, it changes direction?
1: It couldn't you know, be gonna more make, useless.
2: I'm going to make the opposite argument. I'm going to make the argument that this is actually a somewhat useful exercise, if, if only accidentally.
1: Why would you make Why? the wrong argument? Like, why would you argue the wrong side?
2: Well, here's the thing about tent pole communications is it it holds up the rest of the tent it's an opportunity for you to say this is what we're going to be talking about for the next bit this is the lens through which we are going to discuss these issues these are the feelings we want to leave people with we in this case want to leave people with the sense that the conservatives are a party of common sense Justin Trudeau says we're out there we're radicals you don't know we're common sense right and so it it kind of hones, The political conversation internally in a useful way that you can then use it to push out externally. And does the theme of the convention matter? Not at all. But the work that went into it, you know, that's an end product, but the underlying work that informed that, that is going to inform the communications activities across the board... Super useful, and it is a, an attempt and an opportunity to kind of pilot some of these things and test some of these words and look at these phrases in ways that, that may or may not have resonance. And you start to get a sense of that with your internal audience, and you start to get a sense of that with your external audience as well.
0: Corey, have you been in those rooms creating those themes?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And you don't,
0: you don't remember any of them.
2: I mean, I've, I've actually more than a handful of themes i've done myself like i have those <laughs> themes and i don't remember what my themes were for those particular things i remember the alberta liberal party had one once that was politics reimagined where we brought in like kind of the open member vote system that was ultimately also adopted at the federal level that's the only one i could remember i think without actually going back to my files
1: and prompting
0: carter are there any themes like y- you just remember zero zero themes yeah, ever
1: I'm still struggling with Corey's, uh, you know, this is really important kind of stuff. Like, what the fuck? Sure. Yeah. A tent pole. Um, you know, we're common sense part, whatever. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, Corey? This is not a tent pole. This is a, you know, it's, it's the same as a slogan. Everybody, ta- oh, we got to have a good slogan. No, you don't. Slogans don't win elections. Brands win elections. Like what Corey's trying to say, what Corey should be saying. Is that brands are important in politics, and if to the degree that you can use the convention to establish your brand, you should do that. But by saying that you're doing the common sense event, like, come on, that's not helping them. Okay,
0: to, to that words. end, and I'll throw something else, and then Corey, you can respond. Um, what about logos? Do logos win elections? Do you guys like no. the new logo? What What do we think of the new logo that was unveiled at the convention today?
2: Here's the thing about that. I mean, okay, so the Conservatives have a new logo. It's not materially different. It's still a C with a maple leaf in it. Uh, the maple leaf is no longer kind of at a 45-degree angle. There's this little almost like hill in front of the maple leaf in the Conservative thing. The C is a little bit uh, daintier, like it's not as thick. Uh, it just, you know, the the original logo, or not the original, the logo last time was created by Aaron O'Toole. It was supposed to kind of, you know... Harken back to the military, the Air Force, the Roundel, right? Um, so it's it's like kind of a variation on it. It's a modification of it. Does it matter? No, not really. I I think that political parties obsess about logos to an unhealthy degree. This is this this is my version of the complaint that Stephen has about uh, convention themes. For most Canadians, when they think of the brand of a political party, it's not defined by the logo. It's defined by the policies that they have. It's defined. If you want to get more into kind of the aesthetics of it, it's the color. You know, you could ask a hundred people on the street what's the Conservative Party logo, and you could give them like a lineup of ten, and you're I think you're basically going to get ten percent of them pick random. the right one, and that yeah. will be random chance. If you ask them what are the what's the color of the Conservative Party, red or blue or orange almost 100% will say it's blue, right? So like even kind of from an aesthetic point of view, I think they they sort of forget what their actual real brand is. Um, but again, it's like, um, I'm going to use an example I've used in other contexts, I don't think ever on the podcast, right? But when you work in marketing, uh, one of the first things that you want to do is you want to establish very firmly, a market position. And a market position is not a slogan. A market position is not the thing that's going to be in the ad. A market position is a very succinct way to speak to your value proposition in a way that you can then communicate it internally so that everybody knows what the hell you're doing. And you want like 100% clarity across all stakeholders. This is what we do here, right? And so famously, Snickers has one. I'm going from memory here, so it might not be 100% accurate. Mm Among, you know, among snackers, Snickers is, uh, you know, is the um, is the one on the go because it's full of peanuts. It's packed with peanuts. It gives you energy. Right. So they have basically said our market position is that we are going to be like high energy, caloric for snackers on the go move. And when you have something like that defined, it answers kind of all of your other communications questions for you in ways that you probably don't even appreciate. Right. You think about Uh, Snickers. Well, Snickers sells like more king size candy bars than most, because it's, it's actually marketed towards people who are looking for energy on the go. Right? You, uh, think about Snickers and you think about its logo. It's like, it, it's, it's a shitty logo objectively. But it really reinforces the idea that it's like really crammed in and it's like, it's tough. It's like packed with something and it, it answers the questions even of product packaging. And of course, it answers the questions of where you sell the thing because it's on the go. Like you don't sit down and buy a Snickers, like I'm just going to have one of those at home. No, it's, you, you, you have them at convenience stores. You have them at the places where people are looking for those high calorie foods. And it seems obvious, but it only seems obvious because they made those decisions and mm-hmm. it feels natural. Political parties are not very different. So they go through all of this work. They understand their market position. And then they do a bunch of things that underwhelm us, like, say, their convention is called Common Sense. Their logo (laughs) is a fairly staid blue sea with a red maple leaf in it. But these are coming from a place of market position if they're done well. And I actually think the conservative case, there's some evidence that that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying that we are... We are the sensible middle-of-the-road people. This is the market position they are now trying to carve out for themselves. Not a wild logo, super boring. Common sense, you know, they're not the scary radicals that Justin Trudeau is marketing us as here. And, uh, you know, even the way Pierre Polyev has tried to rebrand himself as, oh, shucks, I'm just a family man, you know, not a mm-hmm. career politician and all of that. It's pretty clear to me they've done that legwork. They know who they want to be, and that is going to show up in all sorts of communications products over the next bit. And we don't need to be overwhelmed by it to appreciate the workmanlike quality effort that's gone on
0: behind it. Corey, do you know who Snickers is quite popular with? Outdoors people. They love Snickers. Do you know
2: why? Packed with peanuts. High-calorie snack.
0: Energy. Yeah. Um, Energy. That's really Part good Cor- information.
1: Cor- Thank you, Corey.
0: Corey gave us a lot of info there. Um, would you would I you thought, like to respond, or do you want to tell us your thoughts on the, no, the I, common sense I, theme and the logo? I thought I'd, I thought I'd pick up uh,
1: by kind of giving the, the strategist example of what our brand position is. Right. Serious information from serious people, and <laughs> that's been our brand position from day one, and uh, we're really living it. Hey, Corey.
2: I think so, yeah,
1: yeah, Okay. yeah. I so, mean,
2: I, I, I've always felt that about us. That's, and you can see that in our marketing materials, right? We have the chess yeah. pieces, we have the high quality music at the start of the episode. You know that it's, that kind of like classical feel. Yeah. I thought
0: that all people that, would all really that merch appreciate is the super serious. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, lots that, of serious thought has
1: gone into that merch. We're living the brand is what I'm trying to get across. <laughs> we're living the brand.
0: Um, just last, I'm, this is like a full Zane, 47 minutes on party. Yeah, you okay? Like what's going on? (laughs) Last question. Then we'll move into the lightning round speeches. Um, tell me, talk to me about party convention speeches tomorrow, Friday, uh, Polyev will, will give his big speech again. Is this like, is this for the members? Is this for the media? Uh, what, what will you be watching for in, in the speech? What would you, advise him on talk to me about speeches Stephen Carter will start well, with the, you the,
1: they are redoing Corey was quite right they are resetting their brand I mean we we'd heard from you know friends of ours in the Conservative Party that Pierre polyev would walk back some of the things that he was doing in the in the leadership race uh, to try and win back Can, you know Canadians and that you know didn't happen right away but it seems like it's happening now um, so I'll be watching to see the response from you know, the team, you know, from the group of people who who support him, do they support this move um, towards mainstream to try and bring it back? My answer is probably going to be, yeah, they probably will, because most of the people in that room know what it takes to win. They're 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 going to be looking uh, to win the election, not just to to kind of be involved in the election. And you know, th- this group of people, I mean, yeah, it's for media, the speech, but it's also to have people walking away saying gosh that Pierre Polyev he sure knows how to he sure knows how to speak he's such a great speaker um, you know that that's a big part of it too everybody gets to walk away saying wow that was that was just exactly what we needed he he did a great job and that I mean you're never going to find a better audience than you find at the convention.
0: Corey talks to me about speeches.
2: Yeah, I I think in many ways, the delegates there are not the audience for a primetime leader's speech. Um, They are a prop. They are the people who applaud when they're supposed to applaud. And they applaud louder than any reasonable human being ever would. (laughs) It's also a truism that a political party speech is basically the only type of speech you can go to where they give you a standing ovation at the start of a speech, right? (laughs) Like, it's just, it's a different crowd. The crowd knows what they're there to do. And they're going to do it. Um, The speech itself is part of the communications exercise of it all. The only real exceptions would be like at a leadership convention where you're actually trying to win over the crowd and your speech is Mm -hmm. actually designed to get the crowd to do something. But otherwise, the leader rightly is not focused on trying to win a room that they've already won. They're trying to win a province. They're trying to win a country. They're trying to win elections. And so it's the opportunity, again, to get the messages out in a tentpole sense. It's usually the new stump speech, right? You will have the new brand behind it. You'll have the glasses-free Pierre Polyev up there. He's going to say the messages they've tested over the summer, the the ways that they are going to make Justin Trudeau look small and Pierre Polyev look big, and... And it, it's not for the people in the room. If it was for the people in the room, it'd be pretty fucking crazy. And that would actually be true of, I think, most political parties, mm-hmm. because the political faithful don't tend to reflect the general population. And so it is triangulated outside. It is also a signal, though, to the people in the room that that is the message he expects them to carry as well.
0: Is there anything specific you'll be looking for in uh, in Palio's speech tomorrow?
2: You know, I've been thinking about this. And the one thing that I think would be fascinating, I'm looking for how he addresses climate change. I'm looking for the conservatives to actually say something about climate change. And I'm not saying it's got to be big, but I'm seeing if he's actually going to cross that bridge and try to resolve what I think is is probably his biggest risk, right? Which is that an issue that is hitting tops of charts, he has Mm -hmm. no answers for. Now, Justin Trudeau has a problem, too issue that is top of charts, housing, Canadians think he has no answers for. So maybe the two will kind of atomize each other and it won't matter. But if Pierre Polyev can shore up that weakness, that sort of disqualifier for so many people, I mean, his 14-point lead could become even bigger. We could be talking about potential conservative majority
1: government.
0: Oh, I think Carter. Carter, what will you be keeping an eye out for?
1: Well, I mean, I think that Corey's made a really interesting observation with the... uh... With climate change, I'm not mm-hmm. convinced that they, they will see a specific comment on climate change, but it will be interesting to see what uh, what does soften, right? What what language is used? I mean, is he going to continue? Will he continue to call Justin Trudeau a Marxist? You know, like, will he or will he kind of, you know, take a more uh, mature approach to leadership, uh, which we've not yet seen from Pierre Polyev? He remains kind of this um, immature um kind of, you know, jester of a, of a leader. Um So how does he take that jester position and turn it into something that appeals beyond his base? And will he use this opportunity to do it? I agree with Corey. I think this is the a, a great time to do it. Uh, I just don't expect to see him suddenly talking about climate change. I think he's going to whiff because ultimately I think he's that soft a leader.
2: But let's be clear, like it's September 8th, this speech is going to happen. It's not an election year, Mm -hmm. in all likelihood, it's always possible, but it's not likely. This is not the kind of thing that's going to be performance television, or, or sorry, like attendance television for people where they've got to sit down and see this. So... It's as much for the media to say, oh, this is the new Pierre Polyev and reinforce that message of he's yeah. had a great summer and he's rebranded mm-hmm. and look who he is and carry and form, inform their views of what uh, Pierre Polyev has become as it is the general public. The, like the general public has been reintroduced to Pierre Polyev, not through a convention speech, but through the advertisements and, and through some of the media that they've earned over the summer. So... um Like, I don't want to overstate it either and say, like, oh, this is like, this is not like an inaugural speech, a commencement, an acceptance speech, anything like that, which doesn't mean it's not important.
0: Okay. Uh, Good clarification. Guys, let's leave it there. Move into our lightning round. Rapid fire. Stephen Carter, what's the best convention you've ever been to?
1: Um, Leadership convention where Jim Prentice lost to um, Peter McKay.
0: Why was that the best? Or
1: 2004. Um, it just had a tremendous amount of energy. It was, it, it felt like it was for the future of the party. It was for the future of the party was for the vision of the party. Um, it was dynamic. It was close. It was exciting. I had a big role. Uh, it was a lot of, I, I was unknown at that time too, which helped. Uh, it was, it was, it was kind of like my first foray on the big stage. It was really fun.
0: Unknown at that point. Corey Hogan, what, what's your best convention?
2: Uh, 2006 in Montreal, Liberal Party of Canada leadership convention. uh, Dion won on well, Dion won, and I was a Dion lieutenant. I worked for the Dion campaign. I was, you know, in charge of communications for Alberta and Saskatchewan, and I was chief whip for Alberta. And we weren't supposed to win, and so winning is thrilling. Winning when you're not supposed to win is thrilling. But also (laughs) bigger than that, it was the last, in my opinion, the last great delegated convention in Canadian history. It had thousands and thousands of people. Um, You know, it was unbelievable how packed both uh, the Palais de Congrès was and also Montreal more generally. And, um, it It was just it was just such a such a ride, such a rush the entire way through and you'll keep in mind that that was the convention that had like ten people running for Liberal leader, and you saw all of these amazing things happen over time as like sentiment shifted and the shirts people were wearing changed, and on the final day, huh. Dion his whole team shows up in green shirts for the first time everyone's been wearing red the entire weekend. It was quite a play, it was quite a throw. sure wasn't my idea but it was amazing and because you saw like the momentum over the day as more and more people wore green until green was a majority in the convention hall and just there were a ton of moments like that like the, the whole convention was the next level it was really quite something
1: it's fascinating to me that we both picked the last delegated conventions for our respective teams
2: yeah i think so too Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just really nothing like a true delegated convention. Nowadays, they have quote unquote delegates, but even the ones that have like, by riding, it'll be like, oh, we'll just slot you in in your neighbor's riding. You know, everybody can come. It's fine. Uh, It didn't used to be that way. You used to have to fight like i had i stood for election to be a delegate there you know i was outside the voting station for my riding association and there were like a lot of people who voted like hundreds and hundreds if not over a thousand and i was basically hustling for votes the entire day to get to be a delegate and um it's just not like that anymore it's not and it
1: builds the should, party at the grass
0: should it go it's back? so good oh yeah did it go back to so that way yeah
1: Absolutely.
2: I don't know. I mean, I don't know. We've we've had this conversation before. There are pros and cons of basically all of these models. The, the very legitimate criticism of that old model was how closed off and gatekeeped it kept it was right. Like it was it was not always mm-hmm. great if you were on the outside. And I can think of times when I was on the outside too. But um, you know, it it certainly made you have skin in the game. There was an expectation you sort of pay your dues. I you know I don't want to sound like some old man railing against a modern world but I do feel like party membership I'm now okay with comes that. with a certain entitlement like people think well I'm a party member I paid my $5 I get to tell you what the policy should mm-hmm. be right I mean it it did it never used to work like that if you said that in like the late 90s it would be like Sit down, Hmm. shut the fuck up, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, go out, sell memberships, build an organization, get some stuff done. And just like, we didn't pretend everybody's view mattered equally. Again, there's some downside there, right? I don't want to pretend otherwise, but it it really did have a different dynamic at that particular moment. I would say this entire episode has made me deeply nostalgic for conventions, and I'm looking forward to finding (laughs) an excuse to go to one now.
0: Uh last lightning round question, stephen Carter. What is the worst convention you've ever been to and why? Oh
1: my God. Um it was the Oh, I
2: know uh, I bet you I know the answer to this one.
1: The Sandra Jansen <laughs> one where we got fucking yeah. driven out by the Catholic kids pulling up in buses. Jason Kenny versus uh Sandra Jansen. What year was that, Corey? He was um
2: uh fuck, that would have been I 20... like blocked it out 16. 2016.
1: 2016? Fucking horrible oh my god <laughs> all these like uh catholic school kids pulling up to vote on abortion access it was just oh made you sick and then the way they treated sandra holy shit it was the yeah. worst worst experience uh in politics i think
0: cory hogan what what is your worst convention and why
2: I mean, my actual answer would probably be some sad regional party convention, right? I I don't – I mean, there's just so many of those. But if you're going to talk national conventions, I think probably the one that I look least fondly on was the one that coronated Michael Ignatieff. I think it was in Vancouver because it felt like so – like, here we are. We're doing this thing. Nobody cares. And, and, you know – And that's kind of a bad energy to bring into all of it there. But, uh, you know, even that, there are no bad conventions. There are just bad convention goers. You can have a fun time even during a shit show of a convention. I'm serious. Like, in some ways, the shit show conventions can be the most fun. Because that's when, like the everybody's, you know, your time to shine. Absolutely. Oh,
0: yeah. such a convention keener. That's the one big thing I learned <laughs> from this episode. Such a keener. because there's a
1: shit ton of alcohol. I mean, I think we need to be really clear about I why thought
0: Corey him. doesn't drink. <laughs>
2: what? Well, I don't. I I don't. Yeah, I got three kids. I mean, what else am I going to? No, drink I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't drink yeah. very much. I don't drink
0: very much. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1097 of The Strategist. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, With you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan.